Well, we want to welcome in those that are streaming with us today, and uh, he's going to kill me, but I don't care. Would you welcome back a guy that's been battling with some real health issues? He's up here in the balcony. Would you welcome Larry Van Meter back today? Well, Larry, we're glad you're back, man, and just thankful that you're here. We want to welcome those that are streaming in with us today, and I don't know where you caught it a few moments ago, just right here on this second pew. Some of our students are seated here. Um, you know, there, there's been something in society known as how many people can you pack into a Volkswagen? And so what we're singing today, I was just counting how many students can you put on one pew during the pandemic, all right? So Mia, if you'll just come over here and like dive in. No, you don't have to do that. But uh, anyway, man, don't ever uh, miss those kind of church-cherished moments. I mean, some lasting relationships have been made over the last 60 years in these front six pews right here. Trust me, okay? And uh, anyway, it was just uh, amazing. I'm going to invite you today to open your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter number 2. And uh, as you're turning there to Luke chapter number 2, scroll down to verse number 8, and we'll be there in just a moment. Just a quick, quick question for you today. How long has it been since you held a newborn baby? Now think about that for a moment. Some of your grandparents say, said not, not too long ago. Uh, but just think for just a moment. For, for all of us, that'll be a different time frame. What's the last time, when was the last time that you held a newborn baby? Now, I have a policy. Uh, my wife will tell you this. I mean, unless it's one of mine, I'm not going to hold anybody's newborn baby. I'm scared I'll break them. But uh, Becky loves to hold newborn babies. I want them to get up a few years where I can wrestle with them. You know, they're not as breakable then. Children are pretty resilient, aren't they? And uh, today, as we just dive back in this weekend before Christmas, just have a few little nativity items here, and uh, maybe you can see those. They've become very uh, accustomed to our imaginations and our Christmas season, and there's always, seems like, a Mary, a Joseph, a manger, baby Jesus. I was just looking at this particular Mary from this nativity scene. <laughs> she looks like, uh, well, I, I'm amazed that she looks that good considering all the things that she's been through, okay? And uh, baby Jesus there. And today, uh, I want us to continue on this little journey together. And we're going to be talking about uh, another phase of rediscovering Christmas. Now, if you think with me for a moment, we've looked at the villain of Christmas, we took a week and talked about the story of Christmas, and last week we talked about the background of Christmas, but today I'm just praying that God will use these few moments that we have together as we explore kind of a, a different picture of Christmas, some of the characters around the Christmas story. And could it be on this Lord's Day that God's going to have something to talk and speak into our hearts as we put a microscope on some of these characters. And can I just suggest, as we look at the shepherds today, we are going to deal with some real characters. But as we look at that today, Mary and Joseph, at the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, they need somebody to join in. They need someone to merge their joy 
and be able to share it with someone else. And so here's what God's word says, beginning in Luke chapter number two. I want you to follow along as we look verse by verse as we rediscover Christmas. And what I want us to do today, just in the short time that we have, is to answer two simple questions and talk for just a moment about two very important little prayers that I want you to walk away with today. Two very important questions and two prayers that I just want to suggest to you come right out of our text today and the Christmas story as we look at these incredible characters. Now, I guess the first observation that I want you to jot down in terms of a question is this, this simple question, and let's fill it in together. What are they doing there? I want us to talk about the shepherds for a moment, but I want us to do so with that question abounding as we read this text. What are they doing there? And as we begin reading in verse number eight, these verses are kind of divided up into two pieces surrounding that question. We know the shepherds are going to be joining in the joy that Mary and Joseph has celebrated, but the question for us today is what are they doing there? And it really begins in our Bibles with some shepherd information. Write that down. Verse 8 leads us with some shepherd information. Let's just work verse by verse. Here we go, verse number 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. Now, everything is normal with that. That's where shepherds function. Shepherds are normally in the fields. And then the Bible says again, affirming exactly what they should be doing, keeping watch over their flocks. That's what shepherds do. Wolves, animals, thieves. And again, these guys, of, I mean, think about it for a moment. Of anyone to be invited to share in the joy, shepherds. Let that just begin to sink in for a moment. And that question, what are they doing there? I mean, that very nature of the word in verse 8, shepherds. I mean, of all the people, shepherds, common people, ordinary people, average people. We could go so far as to saying, really, nobody's in that particular society. And what are they doing there? And if we are going to get the shepherds over here in this joy, I wonder how God will do it. Well, Probably he is going to use the mechanism that he's used so often in the Bible. He's going to provide a dream. These shepherds are going to lay down. They're going to go to sleep. They're going to be awakened and startled in a dream during the night that they're to go. No, no, God's not going to use that method. Or maybe they're going to use this grizzly Adams kind of guy that we have become accustomed to in our Bibles known as prophets. Maybe this little grizzly guy will show up in the middle of the night as a prophet and say, hey, 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 uh, God's calling you to go to this location. But God chose not to use that mechanism either. But the Bible tells us that he's going to use, of all things, an angel. Look in verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were, King James says what, they were so afraid. NIV says they were terrified. They were terrified. In fact, they weren't singing O Holy Night, they were singing 
oh, holy yikes, okay? You know, know, in our culture, we have seen so many kids running around in these nativity scenes with bathrobes on, pretending to be shepherds, that really, I guess, we've kind of become desensitized to the troubling nature of an angel showing up in the fields. That must have been an incredible moment. Must have been a moment that the Bible says knocked them off their feet. Not so much physically, but emotionally, they weren't expecting that. That's the last thing in the world some shepherds abiding by their flocks would have ever expected at night. Verse 10, but the angel said to them, and here's how startled they were, okay guys, calm down. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Look in verse 11. This information continues. But now today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah and the Lord. Too good to pass up for us. Jot down these three descriptions, and I just mentioned them in passing today because there's other things I want us to explore. But look at the three ways that the Bible describes this one that is to be born. Did you notice, first of all, he is a Savior. And out beside Savior, just for your recollection, I'm sure you know this, Savior, a rescuer, one that is to rescue, one that is to save, literally a Savior. And then look at the second description there in verse 11. He is a Messiah. Christ will be the Messiah. We know that element has roots in the concept of when they would anoint a king. A king was often he would kneel and be anointed with oil. That would set him apart for the particular service that he was called to. And here we have this incredible description, a savior, a rescuer, a messiah, an anointed one. And then look at the third way it describes him, the Lord. The Lord. He will be the master, in other words. Lord means overseer or master. And the Bible now moves from this information phase to an invitation phase. Jot that down. As we get in verse 12, we see that there's going to be an invitation given. Mary and Joseph need someone with them. And here's what verse 12 says. This will be a sign to you. Now notice these two pronouns, you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. How big an element is this? As these shepherds were giving, stay with me for just a moment. Need a little water. Can you ever get thirsty? My Ozarka water was out today. So they gave me the cheap purified water. You know I'm a spokesperson for the Ozarka company, so I try to always have Ozarka on the screen, okay? You, did you notice that in your Bibles? You are to go. It's, it infers that it's their responsibility to travel. It's their responsibility to find this one, and how do you find him? How do you know what newborn baby that will actually be the one? The Bible says, just look for the feed trough. Look for the manger, and that will be a sign to you in verse 12 that that will be the one. And then verse 13, look at it in your Bible. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God, verse 14. In the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor 
rest. Now look at that word in verse 13, the great company. By the way, that word company is a military term, isn't it? A company. So this angel now evidently is joined by a a whole arsenal, if you will. I wonder if these angels are in military form. I wonder if they're in some kind of formation. But it is a military term, so it leads us to kind of understand. By the way, does it say that these angels were singing or were they saying? And look at the end of verse 13, they were saying something. Which leads me to ask this, was there some kind of chant? Was there some kind of cadence to this? But as these shepherds are hearing this company in unison, evidently, what are they speaking of? They're saying glory to God in the highest in the heavens. In other words, glory up there and look at the second part in verse 14, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Glory there, peace here. If we connect these two with the antecedent in the scripture, we're able to get the fullness of exactly what the angels are proclaiming. Glory in the highest, but peace here on earth for anyone that is able to meet personally and to know this rescuer, this anointed one, this Messiah and Lord and Master. And so the Bible tells us that the shepherds, they haul all the way to Bethlehem. Well, not exactly haul. Look in verse 16. In fact, the word says, so they hurried off. You almost let me forgot. Uh, or or uh, uh, I mean, forget this key moment. The Bible says they hurried. They hurried to find him. Let's keep reading verse number 16. Let's, they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feed trough, the one that was lying in the manger. You know, did they search every cave, every barn, every stall, every place that smelled like that possibility it had livestock in it? Have you ever, I mean, did they just go to the exact location immediately? I mean, I mean, I mean, there, there, there were a lot of people there. And, and surrounding this birth, a lot of activity. And, and we as readers, as we're working through these verses, there are so many things that we ask ourselves to just wonder, how did they find him? You know, down through history, there have been a number of painters that have tried to portray this very moment. Just as a nativity scene, one of those uh, paintings we'll just put up uh, by Matthias Stommer. This is more of a colored picture and you see kind of around the peripheral uh, side there's shepherds that are kind of joining in but that's not my favorite picture. My favorite picture of the shepherds was way back from the 1700s from a German painter by the name of Christian Dietrich. Here it is. It's an old black and white picture. But I love this picture. I love every, every Christmas to pull it back out. I, I have a replica of it and a copy of it in the folder. I, I love the old barn wood is hewn. I mean, if you look real carefully and closely, I mean, there's actually some hay there. There's an old donkey that's kind of thinking, man, what's, what's this person taking the picture, so to speak, looking over here? I mean, you see commoners. You see people that are hooded. You see... 
a lot of different things. And, but look carefully at the, at the shepherds and look what they're doing. It's an amazing picture because in the midst of all of this, again, who got this invitation? And with that picture, I just ask you, right in the center of it, what are they doing there? God himself is born in planet Earth, and of all the people, shepherds. And you and I have got to, as we rediscover Christmas, ask a heartfelt question. What are they doing there. It's an incredible moment in the Christmas story. The common, ordinary, average, nobodies. You know, if that Christmas story was written today, maybe it would say, and nearby there were truck drivers filling up their trucks with diesel. Maybe it would say, and as Appleby, nearby, as Appleby's assistant manager closed and had a few of the wait staff there, an angel appeared to them. Maybe if the story was recounted in today's time, maybe it would say something like this, and nearby there were college students packing their bags in the dormitories, packing up and getting ready to come home. Just common ordinary, really nobody kind of people. And there's something as the drumbeat of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, it resonates with us as we can reconnect with this incredible Christmas story. And I want you to write this down because it's so very important. When God visits the planet, ordinary people are the very first to get an invitation. Now, you may not think that's substantial. You may not think that's significant. I would suggest to you my best Christmas offering this year is that, hey, this speaks volumes. Again, when God visits the planet, ordinary people are the very first ones to get an invitation. What are they doing there? I would suggest to you that it lays the groundwork for all of Jesus' future earthly ministry. That's how important the calling of the shepherds really was in that day and time. It sets the stage for everything about the Lord Jesus and his ministry and who he was. The ordinary people. You remember with me just the very start of Jesus's earthly ministry. There was tremendous stir People were excited. A few of the Jewish population were really latching on. This is the Son of God. But many did not believe he was the Son of God and never did. But they were still enamored with his incredible ability to perform miracles, to do things that they had never seen anyone else do. Crowds began to grow early on in his ministry. And if you'll remember, our Bible says there was one particular moment when some moms brought their little children to the Lord. And you remember those around him, those gatekeepers around the Lord Jesus? Get those kids away. Our Lord doesn't have time for children. Move them back. Move them back. He has official business to take care of. And you remember in the midst of that, our Lord and Savior simply stopped and said, Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let them 
come to me. Those little children and their moms, they are on my invitation list. Let them come to me. I remember one of those moments when Jesus evidently, it mentions this twice in the record that John has given us in the Gospels, that he was so tired, he was hungry, and so he sits down by a well. The other disciples had scurried off to try to find some food and sustenance, and if you remember, there was a woman there at that well, and she was filling up with water. She had her jar that she was collecting water. Uh, not just any woman, a Samaritan woman. Not just any woman, not just any Samaritan woman, but a Samaritan woman that had been a five-time loser, a five-time individual when it came to marriage that it did not work. Jesus began to interact with her. Unheard of for a Jewish man to speak to a Samaritan woman. And not just any woman, but her. Of all the people, her. And she made the invitation list. You know, I couldn't help to think, but it wasn't just the ordinary, the commoners that our Lord and Savior reached out to. It was not just the down and out, but it was the up and coming. One of the great moments in all the Bible is when our Lord and Savior begins to reach out to a man by the name of Nicodemus. An affluent man, a big timer, an up and comer, a real teacher of the people, a professor. He was astute, he was educated, he had wealth, he had so much going for him, and yet he also came onto the Lord's radar and the invitation list. As he began to speak into Nicodemus's heart as Nicodemus came to him at night he reminded him Nicodemus it's not about the rigidity of what you can remember it's not about liturgical elements of who I am my birth and what I've come to accomplish here on earth it's not about reform but it is about transformation and can I just offer up to you this Christmas as you and I Embrace rediscovering Christmas. For the person that hears my voice today, that feels like you're on the outside. I mean, it doesn't matter what causes you to feel like that, whether it be someone that's here that says, Pastor, you just don't understand. I've drifted too far. I'll never be the one invited to him. For the individual that would be here today that says, oh, you just don't understand, Pastor. I feel too grimy. Pastor, I, I feel that I've been away too long or I'm too old. I want you to understand something that's very important this Christmas. You too are on the invitation list. And see, that stirs up with that question, what are they doing here? What are they doing here? That really wells up a song that I think should be sung in our hearts. It just has a couple of words, just a couple of lyrics to it. And I want you to write it down, and I want you to remember it this Christmas. A simple prayer in our hearts should be, come on in. A simple prayer 
that you and I should be able to pray and not just pray in our own hearts, but to all those around us. Come on in. Come in. Just as the shepherds were invited to come in and to, 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 to be a part of the incredible birth of our Lord and Savior and, and to share in that, they were invited and they were welcomed in. But I want us to ask another question today. I want us to ask a question as we rediscover some of these characters of the Christmas story about this manger itself. And that question is this, jot it down. What is he doing there? I'm not asking, I want you to connect with him here. I'm not asking, what is the Lord Jesus? What's the baby doing here on planet Earth? I'm asking, what is he doing there? What is he doing in a feed trough? Think about that for a moment. A feed trough near animals, an animal feeder. I think the setting for us is first century. And understanding it's first century, you understand at the height of the Roman Empire, philotimia. Philotimia was the term that was used for the existence of the Roman people. And it was spreading throughout the Roman existence of the whole world. Philotemia, a term that literally means to, to be excessive or to be superior to. Everyone seemed to be, even in this spread, even into the Jewish culture with all of these hierarchy of ratings and rankings, Pharisees and Sadducees and Zealots and everyone had this incredible category of who you were in social standing. Understand, this one born and placed in this animal theater was born into a culture that was so status-driven. And so you and I have got to stop from a historical context and just say, what is he doing there? It makes no sense. It's, 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 it's an absurdity. I mean, of all the places, I mean, think about that. To be somebody in first century culture, it was legacy. And here are two very common people, but oh, it gets worse. There is talking about her conception date and their betrothal and wedding. Something smells fishy. And then of all the things from Nazareth, nobody really of, that was in a body came from Nazareth. And then put all of those three characteristics on top of a feed trough. And you and I would be a lunatic not to ask the question, what is he doing there? Wow, what a moment. Look back at verse 16. 
So they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby, and he was lying in the manger. That incredible moment, they found him. They found Mary. They found Joseph. They found a baby, and they found a major manger. I think it was Paul that maybe described it in such vivid technicolor over in Philippians chapter 2. I believe it was verse number 7. When Paul said and described the coming of the Lord Jesus in terms of the manger, Paul described it simply by using two phrases. He said, Jesus made himself nothing. And then at the end of verse uh, verse number 7 in Philippians 2, Paul described it this way, in the very nature he became a servant. I would just suggest to you that just as we ask the question, what were they doing there, <laughs> the shepherds, almost equally on parallel terms in terms of importance is this second question, what is he doing there? And I would just suggest to you, again, this lays foundation for really who Jesus is. Who our God is. It lays a biblical foundation for us at this Christmas as we really understand the very nature of Christmas. I mean, we certainly can couple it with the Lord's own words over in Mark 10, 43, when he says, hey, 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 the greatest among you, the greatest among you is the least and the one that what? Serves others. Could it be, just offering up a question, that the reason, what's he doing there? He's there because it is telegraphing to us who he is and what he is about to be in terms of ministry. A servant. I brought this uh, little envelope with me today. Are y'all an envelope or an envelope people? Envelope or envelope? Are you a roof or roof people? Roof or roof? Oh, yeah, anyway, that's just a... Have you ever noticed at these Academy Awards, you know, one time at the Academy Awards, do you remember this? Whoever was opening them read the wrong thing. You remember that? And so now they, they don't really seal them like they used to. You notice they leave. And I love at the Academy, they always have a gold or silver lining, just like this envelope does. And so I just ask, now you're going to quickly learn your part here because I'm going to need you to participate. This is audience participation. Would you look to your neighbor without spitting or salivating on them and say, this is audience participation? Good. And I think you'll catch on to your part in just a moment, okay? Are you ready? Is there anything wrong with this? On the envelope it says, we are now attending the Greatness Awards presentation. Greatness Awards. And we open up the envelope to see who the winner is. Ah, it's Paul. Paul is a man that has lunch. And uh, each lunch hour, one time a week, he drives to a local retirement home to take care of not his mom, but his aunt. Because there's no one else to take care of her. Let's show our appreciation 
for the great servant Paul. I knew you would catch on. Award winner today. Oh, is Nikki of the great, great award, the great servant award. Nikki. Nikki. Nikki's a friend that has a seven-month-year-old friend. Uh, not a seven-month, a, a woman that is seven months pregnant friend who's been put on bed rest. Nikki goes over two times a week, puts something in the fridge that her friend and their family can warm up for supper, and then she spends a few minutes to pick up around the house. Congratulate Nikki. Great, greatest awards winner. Let's do that right now. Good job. Oh, oh, oh. Another award winner. Tommy. Tommy, sixth grader. He empties the dishwasher without anyone asking. Let's give it up for Tommy. Okay, can we do that? And I just ask you the question, does this feel like something's wrong with this? Why is this so awkward? Because as you and I re-embrace the true Christmas story, we are reminded that the manger set the whole tone for the fact that the coming of Jesus, the coming of God's Son, was not going to be about fanfare. We're reminded that Christmas is not about accolades. We're reminded as we reconnect with the Christmas story that even if we are able to somehow be just a faithful servant of the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus, that we are to serve out of a heart of an anonymous service. It's not about accolades for us. It's about service for him. What is he doing there? I would just suggest to you, maybe one of the most important things that we'll take with us today is this incredible statement that the birth of Jesus sets the entire stage for the perspective on being, not being, or being status focused or seeking status. Christmas is not about buying the best gift. Christmas is not a war to see which meemaw can outdo the other. Christmas is not about one side of the family saying, well, we only got two hours on Christmas Eve and they got six hours on Christmas Day. Christmas is re-embracing with an answer to a very important question. What is he doing there? What are we doing filming inside of a dirty dairy barn this year for church video? And I've just been praying that God would take us back. Out of the commercial life. 
out of the center focus of Christmas being us and ours. And asking us to to just bring us back to two simple questions. What are they, those shepherds, those agrarian people that live out there with animals, what are they doing there? I just suggest to you that it lays the foundation for all who our Savior is. Whosoever can come. And then what is he doing there? And it reminds me of this second little prayer that's so very important to us. Jot it down. And that is a simple prayer that this Christmas I pray that we'll be able to sing in all of our hearts. Lord, send me. Just send me. This Christmas, Lord, as I rediscover who you are, would you just be willing to send me as your agent to the very place that you would have me to go, whether it be by a star, whether it be by just the Holy Spirit's guidance, whatever it is, do you have a mission this coming week for me, Lord? And if so, send me. If you and I could just sing those two songs in the Christmas of 2020, come on in. You too are invited at the very place of the birth of our Lord and Savior. There's a place for you at this table, whoever you are. And to re-embrace what he's doing there. I would submit to you that if we could do and answer those two questions that it will go a long, long way for you and I to be able to really, really, authentically rediscover Christmas. And that's my prayer for Oakland Heights Baptist Church this Christmas. Authenticity. Authenticity. Transparency. And can I just, as we close this morning, share what I've just observed for many years in ministry. You and I, even when we're willing to open the door at times and allow the Lord into our hearts and our life, we almost as quickly in that moment when we say we're going to let him in, close it again because we look inside of our lives and it's such a mess. And we feel ashamed and embarrassed that no one should be able to see inside that mess. And can I just share with you, after years of watching and observing this, what our God speaks into our hearts day after day of our existence is, just let me come in. Let me come in. Mess and all. Trust me, and let's see what I can do, the Lord says, with the mess that's been created. Would you pray with me? Lord, I just thank you for these few moments. I thank you today for the stirring music. Thank you for those that have already shared their gifts and their heart with us.
And Father, as we have thought about a Christmas villain and the story and the background, and now as we think about some of the most unique places and characters and where these characters are and what they're doing there. Father, I pray once again, as we have read a very familiar account of your word, shepherds and the birth of Jesus, that, Father, you would allow us fresh and new to see again who Jesus really is. But also who we are. And Father, as the song and the very movement of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, as he does his work in us, that we would be able to transmit two very special songs this Christmas. Everyone we come in contact with, to just let them know, come on in. There's a place for you. But also the willingness of surrender that we are called to be about this Christmas simply by saying, Lord, send me. Father, we love you. As we step aside this week to set aside these crucial and pivotal days that we call Christmas. We do celebrate your birth. Thank you for coming. Thank you for living. Thank you for dying. Thank you for ascending and being resurrected as our Lord and Savior to triumph over death. Thank you for being our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords. Thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for being the anointed one and thank you for being the Lord and the master of our lives. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.